Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so pleased you can join us in today's show. I am Michelle. And I am Mark, your host of this podcast, a show that was designed for you, the Awakening Empty Nester. In this series, we will be bringing you a whole range of inspiring insights, heart-filled stories and conversations with truly amazing people. People just like you. People who have navigated through their own challenges, lessons and opportunities. People who have transitioned to living a life of deeper experience, heart-filled contribution and consistent awakening and growth. Find out how they are all living with what we call a strong ECG life pulse. Let's discover more as we dive into this episode. Whether you're an empty nester or not, we trust you will enjoy today's show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're new to this podcast, we're really honoured that you've joined us today on a beautiful day here in April 2020. We are looking forward to today's conversation with our good friend and guest, Ralph Barber. He comes to us from a beautiful city, Melbourne, here in Australia, a place that we love to visit when we can. There's a real special reason, though, why we are excited to have Ralph on our show today. Welcome to the show, Ralph. So good to have you join us. I met you seven years ago, I think, Ralph. I can't remember how long ago it was, but I do remember the night where I met you. Yep. Yes, I do too. It was through a network of business partners in Newcastle. Mm. In fact, we have a shared connection, a wonderful man by the name of Richie Williams. Absolutely. I so remember that first conversation because... When you spoke to me, I could feel this depth of kindness in you, (laughs) unconditional willingness to help me make a difference in life. And I remember that I had not even written my first book, Ripples, I was talking about it, and you offered to film my book launch in Melbourne and create a story through it. And since then, you have guided and assisted both myself and Mark in many other ways. And in fact, it was about 12 months ago when we were with you in your recording studio in Melbourne, that you planted the seed in us about starting a podcast. Well, it didn't happen (laughs) straight away. However, we are here and we have just launched our very first podcast, What You're Listening To, listeners, two days ago. So we're really excited, really blessed, very grateful for you, Ralph. And to us, you have a heart of gold and we feel honoured and grateful to have you on our show. I'm humbled to be on your show, guys. Um, you know, we were talking, uh, Michelle, about uh, as you get older, you, you sort of narrow the focus a little bit about what you think is important in life. And, and I've I got to say, you think you got something out of that conversation you had with me all those years ago, but I walk away remembering the person and remembering just the willingness to, to want to change the direction you were going in and uh, recognising the brick walls you were hitting at the time. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, this woman just needs as much support as possible i don't know the answers but if i can help in any way you know that's that was my purpose but really you've got to be open your, your heart's got to be open your mind's got to be open and you had that and that's what was uh really that really stood out for me it was a it, i got as much out of that conversation as what you did michelle so um yeah i'm not taking all the credit there no, that's for sure. thank you thank you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So listeners, Ralph Barber was a former teacher, school teacher for around 16 years and he left that about 20 years ago to start a curriculum development and education consultancy. Ralph also had 25 years in commercial radio producing, presenting radio shows for stations such as Triple M, SEN116. It's 11.16, it's a sports station in Melbourne. There you go. Sorry, mate. The ABC Radio and ABC Radio Australia. So Ralph then founded a company called Making Media Australia 15 years ago. That's a real mashup of his passions in life. Making Media creates live and on-demand video, audio, radio and podcasts and uses media platforms to educate and tell a story in exciting and impactful ways. At the young age of around 57 or so, <laughs> he, says, he says that he's doing today what he dreamed of doing when he was about 10 years old. Ralph says, life is very, very good. Life is very, very good. Our listeners who are mostly empty nesters will be excited to hear about how you've come to be in this very, very good life, Ralph. So tell us a bit more about you. Um, you know, if you, if you told me 30 years ago that I'd be running a media company, doing, uh, producing live radio, running my own radio stations, uh, doing live video, I would have said, I wish, uh-huh. you know, uh, I, I probably didn't believe that I would ever do it. It's something that I was always fascinated with when I was a kid. The idea of now you guys are too young for this, but we used to have transistor radios, right? right? <laughs> and the transistor radio, I'd look at it. And I still remember sitting in the backyard looking at my dad's transistor radio and say, how the hell can I be listening to cricket from the other side of the world out of this box? <laughs> and I was just fascinated with this thing. And whenever I said to dad, oh, I'd love to be a radio star. And of course, dad, we were Italian. So dad uh-huh. goes, no, you're going to be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or a, <laughs> or a tradie that's going to make a lot of money. Right. Forget about radio. Forget about all this sort of garbage. There was no internet at the time. So social media, all that sort of stuff. It was just a dream. And I just knew that dad would shut it down straight away. And there was not many options for us in those days to go ahead. So I went down the, the path of being an accountant. And when I say being an accountant, I got an accounting degree. Right. Uh, but I soon found out that wasn't for me. And I decided to do a dip ed and go into teaching instead, which I was very, very passionate about. And again, media wasn't, it wasn't on the agenda at that time. I was teaching accounting, teaching sport. There was no media at all. Like, I like listening to radio and I like watching TV and going to the movies. Media was just not on my radar until about 1993, mm-hmm. where uh, I was once interviewed on a, a community radio station in the west of Melbourne. It was a local community radio station. I was playing soccer. I uh, was captain of the team and they wanted me to come in and speak. And, and I said, okay, no worries. I'll come in to speak. And I sat there and the minute we went to air and I got to say, uh, thanks for having me. The minute I heard my own voice <laughs> on, uh, uh, through that mic and in my ears, I thought, my God, this is unbelievable. Wow. Uh, and that's where it just triggered that passion when I was 10 that lay dormant. And I said, this is, I've got to find a way of, of doing something with this. And um, that's when I started a community radio show with some mates of mine just talking about soccer football. And, uh, and that's where it all started. Uh, again, there was no internet that time. There was no live streaming or anything like that. So it was always a dream, but there was no, I couldn't find a way. It was just, uh, and the education was a big thing in my life at the time. So 
being a year 12 coordinator, being high positions of responsibility, uh, I felt I had no chance at all to be able to really pursue that, that dream or that fantasy I had about media until I was 38. Okay. And, and I, I was 35 or so, and I, and I was, uh, what, uh, 13 years in teaching, and I started running out of energy, seriously running out of energy. Uh, I'm not sure whether anyone's experienced this, but the minute you drive into the car park of your work and you feel like vomiting, mm. I think it's time for you to move. Oh, sure. And Mark, I think I've had this conversation with you about this uh, at some stage. But, uh, and I just said, I, I just have to find a way. Mm. Being in teaching, you, you can reach a point in teaching that you're either a teacher for the rest of your life or you make the move. And often there's no move to go to because you've been a teacher for so long. So mm. it was a hell of a risk. But my wife just got so sick of me complaining about me not enjoying work. I could be doing something else. But uh, she was so good that she just turned around and said, she said, listen, I want you to take a year where you just go and discover what you want to do. Mm. And I thought, oh my God, you know, how fantastic is this? But then the pressure to find out what am I going to do in a year to get this sorted? And that's where it all started. I had to make it happen. And you put things in place and you go where your heart takes you. And I'm 57 now. That was 38, like 19 years ago. And and I, I finally, really in the last two years, really have put that puzzle together. Nice. Uh, that, that thing that I sort of dreamt of when I was 10 years old, the whole puzzle is together. And I'm so... I'm so happy. I've got the best partner in the world in my wife, Michelle. Same name as yours. Uh, your name, Michelle. Good name. But yeah. uh, she, she spells it with one L, though. That's the difference. <laughs> and, uh, and she's just a wonderful partner. Uh, love my family and love my friends. And I love my work. I mean, we're, you know, how, how much more do you want in life, really? Yeah, look, that's amazing, mate. And what I've learned through my journey, I suppose, is that, you know, there's this statistic that they talk about over 70% of the workforce is disengaged. So Mm. taking that leap, making the decision to move out of a a workplace, a career, a treadmill, basically, and move to something that you're passionate about, that you wake up in the morning and you go, yes, I am so looking forward to today. That when you drive into your your car park Mm. at your workplace or whatever you're doing, you don't feel like vomiting. You feel like, wow, I I wish I could get here earlier so that I could really yep. enjoy this a lot more. So kudos to you, my friend, for um, making that decision. And uh, oh, it's, look, you it's know, scary, You need isn't people it? around you too to do that. 100%. Um, and if you don't, if some people don't allow themselves to have the vision. Mm. And I always permitted myself to have the vision. In fact, I had a whiteboard mm. that when I started feeling like I wanted to leave teaching but didn't know where to go to, I just released the shackles and spent, hours just writing on this whiteboard about what I wanted my life to be in 20 years time and there was there were things like in the work I was doing there were things like I want to go and meet with the people at Manchester United and pitch a curriculum to them about football or whatever Mm -hmm. or I wanted to go and work with you know someone overseas and and my wife would come in just laugh at all this stuff I'd write on the board (laughs) and I thought no I'm just I'm just allowing myself to write everything yes you know and, uh, you know, pleasantly, uh, you, when you look back at that board, and I've still got it, um, a lot of that stuff's been, you know, at least pursued and taken to a point where it's either worked or it hasn't worked, doesn't matter. It's just, it's amazing what you can achieve as long as you've got that vision in your mind, and then you find a way. You hear that term, finding a way? Mm-hmm. People find a way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Of course, you'd love to do it when you're 40, but <laughs> I couldn't be happier 
and I feel like I'm because I'm happy every day. I uh, feel like I'm 35 anyway, so um, age is not it's not an issue. So no, it's just a number, isn't it? And I'm actually yeah. surprised when I learnt that you were 57. Not that 57's old, but you had <laughs> what I'm trying to say is you have the energy of a much younger, what you would perceive as a much younger yeah. man. So yeah, it certainly makes a massive difference if your energy of excitement and enjoyment in your life is present in you, doesn't it? I think, Mark, I think we had a good chat about this. I think you went through something similar with your work. I just found I couldn't be a happy man elsewhere if I wasn't happy in my work. And by the way, for a long time, I was passionate about teaching. I loved working with the kids and it wasn't the kids or the school or the teachers. I just had my head turned by stuff that I was doing outside of school. I'm thinking that's what I want to do. And it was dragging me in. Uh, and I've and also felt that if I remained a teacher, I'd be doing a disservice to the kids and the teachers and the parents of that school also. So I felt guilty going there, knowing I wasn't putting in the most I could. And to this day, I've got a lot of teacher friends who are unhappy because they decide to stay and I have no sympathy for them. <laughs> I just say, to them, listen, there's no room for unhappy teachers. Uh, teachers without energy do something else because kids deserve teachers with energy. Yes. Parents deserve teachers with energy. It's not an easy job, but if you run out of energy, move on, do something else. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Look, uh, it was just one of those things that I had to do. And it's amazing. Um, if you get a bit of support, you do it, you go ahead and do it. Completely resonates with me as well, Ralph. You know, I went through exactly the same thing. I, I just, I love the career of architecture and project management, but I just got to a point where the same as you were saying, I just didn't feel like or I wasn't putting in and didn't have the energy to put in the amount of effort mm. and the passion into what I was doing mm. and you know what Michelle and I were working on was exciting me a lot more to be able to personally impact mm. people and help them through their lives it just excited me it was a difficult decision because you get this I don't know whether you went through the same but I had this ownership I am an architect and and switching that ownership that identity yeah w- was actually quite a quite a challenge for me did you go through the same thing yeah but I was almost compelled to Mark because uh like I said I was becoming physically ill yes Uh, I was very unhappy always love waking up to my wife every day and I love my family but uh if you're unhappy with the bulk of your life which is at work Mm. how are you suddenly going to flick that switch and be happy in everything else you do because if you care and you're guilty about the fact you're not putting in as much as you should to people who deserve it mm-hmm. and then you go home that sense of guilt that sense of unhappiness you should be doing something to avoid what you're doing and, and you know take a step and go and do it and when my wife actually said I'm so sick of this you just got to take a year to just work out what you're going to do mm-hmm. at 38 with a mortgage and uh, okay no kids but uh, at the same time with a mortgage and other responsibilities and my wife going off and having to work and me not putting in for, a, you know, for that period of time. Um, that, was, that was scary. That was really scary. But, you know, ever since, I've got to say, um, for a period of time where I set up a radio station for a client where I literally worked for them, making media was doing it, but it was just me setting it up and also managing the station for 18 months. Uh, I had to work for people. Basically, it's almost like, even though I was, a, I was a contractor, but I was working on a day-to-day basis for people mm-hmm. and it made me unhappy again. Right. <laughs> so, um, so the idea of not knowing where your next project's coming from and having mm-hmm. to be inventive 
and having to look at every opportunity that falls your way and pursue that, that's exciting. It's, it's fatiguing and it's scary and all that sort of stuff, but it's, it's exciting. Um, and that's where we, we are at the moment. So that's always that transition, isn't it? From, from moving from one avenue that you're sick of, that you need a change from, to move to the direction that you want to go, there's always a transition. There's not going to be an immediate switch. It's no. not like flicking a switch and you're from one to the next and everything's all super cool. There's this transition you need to go through. Mm. So mm. In, in every transition, it's really good to have some resources around you. Obviously, your wife, she's obviously a great resource for you. Yeah, look, I, I threw myself in, guys. I okay. just, the minute, the minute, I mean, Michelle gave me 12 months, but I, within three months, had to get a project yeah. of some sort. And I literally, I'll never forget it because I was working at the radio station sort of uh, in Melbourne, SEN 1116 is a sports radio station. Yep. And I, it's never been my big money earner. My, my major money earner is my business. So that was the only thing I had going during that period where I wasn't making an income. And I remember going in there most days because I'm thinking oh, I just need to be in that work mode and, you know, network and all that sort of stuff. And I remember someone saying to me, because I was going every day and I wasn't getting paid much. And they said, Ralph, what the hell are you here every day for? You know, you're not doing a show every day and stuff. And I said, and they said, you know, what do you do? What, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm developing a business around, you know, developing curriculum for sport and stuff like that. And they said, oh yeah, okay, no worries. Anyway, I thought the conversation was over. And uh, it was a three weeks later, I get a phone call from Cricket Australia mm-hmm. from a person that the person I was speaking to at the station had spoken to. They'd been at a party together. The person at Cricket Australia had said something like, oh, look, we're wanting people to develop curriculum around sport. We can't find anyone. They said, I know this guy, SEN, who was just telling me the other day, he does this. Oh, give me his number. Give me his number. They give me a ring. And... That's where it all started. Wow. After three months, uh, I ended up getting a project with Cricket Australia, which, by the way, wasn't the project I pitched. I go there for a meeting and they say to me, and we talk for an hour and we're sort of, you know, trying to work out where it fits and stuff like that. And it just wasn't quite fitting. And right at the end, in the proposal I'd sent them, there was a video that I produced for a friend of mine. It was a soccer video. And they asked me about the video and they said, oh, you know, it's this soccer video. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I produced that. And they goes, oh, I saw that once. Uh, do you produce videos? And, of course, I'm thinking, I need money. I need – I said, yeah, yeah, I, I produce videos. Yeah, yeah, we do it all the time, right? And they said, oh, yeah, because we've got a, a series of six or seven cricket videos that we need to get done and we, we'd love you to do it. Can you get back to us with a concept paper and stuff? Yeah, no problem. We do this all the time. (laughs) I'm driving home. I'll never forget driving home thinking, what the hell? I've never produced videos at this level ever. Uh, But by the time you get home, like I said, you find a way. You Mm. think, okay, did I meet a guy who produced video? So you just work it. And I ended up getting away with that. And suddenly that was the start of the media aspect of the work too. Videos, producing and stuff like that. This certainly wasn't something I was doing from a young age like many people do these days. Mm. This is something I did in my late 30s to start with. And now you're running the business the way you always wanted to and that's part of it. So if if there's anything I can say to people out there, if you want to do something and people ask you, can you do it, just say yes. Mm. You will work a way around doing it. You'll work out how you're going to do it. That's my biggest advice. Never say no. Never be scared or be scared because it makes you want to find out how you're going to do it. That's one thing that I just always say, yes. Yeah, we can do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you travel to the moon? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, can you can you build a can you build us a you know a Trump Tower? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Just you you always find a way. That's Absolutely. that's my advice. That's uh, what's his name, Sir Richard Branson. That's one of his most famous sayings, isn't it? If someone asks you to do something, say yes and figure it out later. Mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I wish I had I wish I had his money, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, especially if it's something you want to do, you don't do it. You know, long, long ago, I forgot about the money side of things. Money will come if you're really happy with what you're doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I often, what I try and do every six months, and I'm, I'm sure other people do, this is nothing special, but I try and do something for free for someone every six months. Right. And it may well be someone who's just trying to embark on a career and needs some videos or they need to do a podcast. I just think there's something you can do for someone that's so much more rewarding than doing a lot of the corporate jobs we do and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's where we come from too. And, and I totally applaud you for that. And we were one of the beneficiaries of your kindness <laughs> and <laughs> that contribution. And I'd like you to speak to us about the... The feeling that you get when you contribute, giving unconditionally, how, where did you learn that concept? How did it come about? Were you the recipient of such kindness at one time? How did that start? Oh, you know where I reckon it came from, Michelle? I reckon it came from those moments as a teacher where you'd worked away, worked away, worked away on kids, you know, good kids who just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. They struggled. There was pressure from parents. There was this and that. But that moment when you were present and the penny drops, at that moment, that's what teaching was about for me. Because the kids actually broke through that barrier. There was that threshold that they broke through and suddenly they were different people Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. The struggle and the battle and then they break through. And uh, it was so rewarding back then. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, you can do all the stuff in the world to try and feed your you know, your ego, your whatever, ultimately that that's nothing. It's when you do something for someone else, that's what fuels me Mm. personally. You don't always get a chance because you've got to make a living and you've got to, you know, there's, you've got to, it's a balancing act, Mm -hmm. but I try and do it as much as possible. And I I don't think, I don't think that's any different from anyone else to tell the truth. I think many people do this, but I try and I, I don't try and do it ad hoc. I try and actually say every six months, I try and do something for someone, but it comes for me, it comes from those moments as a teacher where I see the eyes light up of those kids where they make a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then years later in their twenties or in mm-hmm. their thirties or in their forties, when they run into you, yeah. they'll say, they'll repeat that moment to you. Yes. And it gives me goosebumps. I've got to say that oh, sort of boy. stuff. That's where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Just hearing you say that just reminds me of when we were running the charity in Newcastle and even though we were delivering just once a year baskets of food and and gifts Mm. to people in need at Christmas time and sometimes we didn't even see the recipients just knowing that or imagining their smiles and their joy when they they found this basket and they were opening up presents that they wouldn't have got just that in itself just brought so much joy to our hearts and you know, we did it for four years until we left Newcastle but something that as we mentor empty nesters, the mums and dads who have no longer got their children right there and then to, to teach, to nurture, to mentor is to encourage that mentorship where parents want to, to other kids because there's so much wisdom that mm. has been learned over the years, why waste it? 
you know there's yeah. one there's one child out there in your neighborhood who needs you like you have you've brought you know all the different passions of your life and you're now at this this beautiful time of your life where you're you're using all of those skills and that wisdom and you're excited about life i think parents who are feeling lost and confused and and maybe feeling like they don't matter some parents can yeah. go into that role where they feel like oh well my kids have gone who do i look after who who am i responsible for who am i and they can go down that cycle of feeling like they don't matter and just doing something from your heart serving can bring you up again you know can lift mm. you up again help you rise I, I couldn't think michelle i couldn't think of a better thing than uh having your child at 30 35 40 and you look back and you say is that person a good person mm. did i raise a good person yeah everyone makes mistakes and everyone gets into trouble and everyone probably treats others badly at different times. But on the whole, did I raise a good person? Mm -hmm. Right. And if I didn't raise a good person, did I do the best I could? So I just think that would be an enormous satisfaction if you've raised good people, you know? Yeah. So I I think my, my mum passed away three weeks ago now, but, uh, but I made sure I let her know as an Italian proxy bride from an arranged marriage back, you know, 60 years ago with my dad, a very traditional thing that happened in the fifties. My mum was, uh, it got to the point because she died during the coronavirus, so she couldn't have a proper funeral. Mm. So it was awful. The experience, by the way, there's only four of us there and uh, we had to lower the the coffin into the grave ourselves. I mean, it was just awful. Oh. It was the worst send off that you could ever give anyone, especially someone as beautiful as my mum. Yeah. So I ended up doing a video to tell this story that I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. But mum was 15 years old and spent most of her time in a convent in a village called Sodiano Calabro in Calanzaro in south of Italy in Calabria uh, back in the 50s. She was 15 years old and in that 15 years, probably spoke to a boy maybe once or twice during that time, let alone go out and dates and stuff like that. She'd be lucky to speak to any boys. But she was told one day at the convent by an old woman who was sort of almost having a crack at her about her being at the convent and not being home, saying, you know, you're marrying a man in Australia and you should be at home with your, with your mother. You shouldn't be roaming the streets, you know, uh, especially roaming the convent or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, and mum goes, what? what are you talking about? You know? So she goes home and says, what's this lady? Oh, by the way, you're marrying this guy in Australia. Mum was 15. So she was engaged at 15, didn't have a choice. And then she got married. So it was an arranged marriage, mm-hmm. but the proxy part of it came in that the only way you can get back from Australia to Italy is by boat. It was very expensive exercise back in the fifties. So dad said, Oh, look, let's just do it by a proxy which means someone stands in for my father during the wedding ceremony back in the village. Right. Well, this is just not something you do at, you know, the city council where there's only two of you. You actually have the full on wedding. Right. Mum had the dress. Dad's proxy was his father, who incidentally was 57 at the time. Oh, was he? Right? <laughs> my mum had to exchange vows with her father-in-law, my grandfather, uh-huh. and, uh, basically had to go through the whole ceremony thankfully not the night but the whole ceremony (laughs) and also the uh, celebration and stuff like that and every photo of her because of course 
because the village is basically invited to this wedding. She has to walk from the church to where the reception was Mm -hmm. through the village and everyone follows her. So she's got these, you know, the the Godfather type images (laughs) of of her walking through uh, arm in arm with her father-in-law through the village uh, and everyone's following them to go to this thing. They're awful. They're, They're amazing photos, but they're awful photos. Mum doesn't smile in any of them. Oh. <laughs> uh, and it was two years later, because she was 16 when she got married. Mm-hmm. Two years later, uh, she was permitted at 18 to leave Italy to go to meet my father for the first time. So, so, so can I just um, ask, did she, had she had any contact with your father before she got married? No, not at all. She okay. was, Dad came from the same village, but Dad was nine years older. So when dad left, he, he left at 23. Right. So mum was, what, four, 15, 14? Mm-hmm. So 14 or something like that. And everyone sort of knew each other in the village, but she certainly didn't notice dad or didn't, you know, mm-hmm. have harbour any, you know, sort of uh, any sort of uh, love for dad or any sort of crush on dad or anything like that. He, she just knew him as the, the son of someone in the village. Mm-hmm. So, um, so mum travelled to... Australia when she was 18, two years after she was married. Mm-hmm. And for those two years, by the way, they locked her away because, you know, if there was any other boys who were trying to tempt <sighs> her and stuff like that, it was really ridiculous, uh, primitive type th- uh, thoughts. And of course, in those days, the way there was no email, no internet, or anything, <laughs> no, very little phone uh, use because it was very expensive. Mum and dad started exchanging letters. Okay. And, you know, dad seems to think that, you know, when mum arrived that he had some idea of what her vision for the future was, how many kids you want, what do you want your life to be? Because, you know, these eloquently written letters and stuff like that. Anyway, after an argument they had like five years after they, you know, they were in Australia, uh-huh. mum admitted that she never wrote any of the letters. Because uh-huh. dad was saying, I thought you liked this. I thought you liked Mum goes, no, I never wrote that. My eldest sister wrote uh-huh. those and I had nothing to do with them. Like mum didn't even didn't have any input into them at all. So dad, this was literally married at no sight. Yeah. Well, literally, yes. Wow. Yeah, and even after the two years where dad thought he knew this woman. Um, so it, it was a really interesting relationship. I mean, loving parents, but if you like Seinfeld, uh, George Costanza's parents, that's my parents. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she was a fire in my father's stomach but the light in, in his heart. So this wow. real love, at times bitterness yes. between them. But that's what I grew up in. And, uh, yeah, but the, the love that, they, that they, they both have for their kids, yes. that's something that, uh, you, you know, I made sure that I told mum that I really appreciated in wow. the last year where she was in the nursing home before she died. Yeah, wow. that was an absolutely beautiful video that you put together. Really lovely oh, testimony. So, yeah. I loved it. I watched it. And I just, oh, Same. And it I, was amazing. A fantastic story. And, and just, yeah. again, showing you find a way. Your mum found a way. Your dad found a way, you know. Despite the conditions, despite the environment, despite, you know, not knowing one another, they found a way to find love and to, to bring up two beautiful people. Yeah, wow. uh, M- Michelle, um, my dad to this day, <laughs> and it's, it sounds funny, and he'll say it openly. He said, he's always said to me, if he'd had one date with, his, with my mum 
before he married her, just one date, mm. even if it went for an hour, mm. he would have known that they weren't suited. <laughs> mm. So they stayed together for 63 years. Wow. wow. And they were two people that just weren't suited, but they just made it happen. Right. They made it happen. Uh, and there wasn't, well, by the way, there was no abuse or no physical abuse. It was just arguments the whole time, yeah. crazy arguments the whole time. <laughs> really ridiculous arguments. I can you imagine the, the hands going everywhere, you know, Italian oh, ways, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was ridiculous. And I'm sure a lot of other Italians and people other, of other cultures would be saying the same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But there is love, the underlying love, yes. but the misunderstandings are, are crazy. But uh yeah, but get, I think we got into that because we were talking about the fact that if you've raised good people, mm. uh, you've done something wonderful for the world, haven't you, really? Because those people will affect other people and you of go course, from there. Of course, the ripple effect, leaving a yeah. legacy, yes. Which I think is a good transition to a question I'd like to ask you. And it kind of leads on. Obviously, it's, it's born by what you're doing now, your passion, finding the voice. So how important is it for people to find their own voice and to express themselves as you do through your media? Oh, look, I, I just feel people want to be heard, don't they? they? Everyone's got a story, everyone. I mean, I was intrigued with Michelle and that, that, that conversation we had that night. Uh, Mark, we've had uh, a couple of long conversations. I just think everyone's got a story and that story means something to all those people. And, you know, every story needs to be told. Sometimes no one's going to tell that story on your behalf or they're not going to tell it the way you want it to be told. So if you want to create your own narrative, it doesn't have to be voice. It could be anything. It could be through art. It could be through sport. It could be through the way you parent. For me, you've got to be known for something for yourself, not because you want accolades, but for yourself. Mm. You want to be known as something. I don't like saying don't do something to someone. You know, don't, don't go down this track or whatever because people will find their own way. Don't be satisfied with uh, allowing other people to speak for you yes. or to tell your story. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I'd say, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, love that. And mm-hmm. providing the service that you do through Making Media, that's a fantastic opportunity for people to, to explore, you know, to create their own podcast, video, those sorts of things that you've helped us with as well. Whether it goes public or whether you keep it for yourself and just keep it within your family, I think it's a great resource for people to be able yep. to record their life. So I think it's a really cool thing for people to investigate and get interested in. Yep. I think also, guys, people think, oh, who would listen to my podcast, mm. right? If you put a podcast out every month just for your family, mm. just for 15 people, and that's your audience, you're touching 15 people. Again, if you affect 15 people, you'll affect 30 people. And I think you, you guys came up with that ripple effect mm. uh, term. Uh, I'm a big believer that if you uh, can have a positive influence on anyone, that person will then exude that that aura or whatever it is to other people. So you don't need a big audience for podcasts. You know, there are friends of mine who I've sat down with them and said, this is how you podcast. And all they do is every month they come up with a, a music show where they <laughs> play the music, talk about why, why they love that song. And they, they, mm-hmm. they relate it to one part of their life back when they were kids that's why they love that song and it's like a mixtape podcast Mm -hmm. and because it doesn't go public it just goes friends uh there's no licensing issues or anything like that which is great (laughs) but they but they literally pick a song and they say i love this song because it reminded me of this time in my life that i did this or whatever and some of it's really hilarious (laughs) 
and it's a great way of telling your, your story through music because it sure. means so much. Music means a lot to other people. Absolutely. So that's the way to do it. And, you know, there's nothing stopping people these days with phones. I think I went through this with you guys. Mm. Uh, mobile phones these days are as good as a second-tier camera. A lot of them have got 4K capability. You can get apps to be able to, you know, deal with white balance or to deal with exposure, to deal with audio. You get these little mics that are now $50. You can uh, connect it up to your phone or your iPad and you suddenly got something you can record radio quality recording. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing stopping you these days. And even if your audience is two people, three people, Mm -hmm. just do it. Tell your story. And after going through what I did with my mum, you know, I'm really hell-bent, uh, and this is – I've helped a few of my friends around this, when their pa- parents are about to pass away or, they, or you know, they might be a bit old and they could pass away any time, we just make sure we sit down and say, how are we going to tell their story? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just for the funeral, but something that stays with the family for the rest of the life, the rest of the generations to yes. follow. Really important, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, and the story that you put up about your mother's life, you know, her celebration – Hands down, it was probably one of the best ones I've seen. And it's a real inspiration for me for, you know, for when or if that, well, not if, but when that happens in our family, what a yeah. cool way, what a really cool way to, to represent that. So that's to really honor, good. To honour our parents. But yeah. can I actually just suggest, guys, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot because I got so much out of it doing it myself. I mm. Like doing it, there was a lot of tears that week when I was putting oh, it sure. together. Um, it was such a great thing for me to just remember the great stuff about my mum and so it's a really good process to go through but don't wait till they die no don't do it now do mm. it. in fact if you get a chance to interview them and talk about their life and intermingle that with music and images and maybe little quotes from the grandkids and can you imagine piecing that together oh, yes. uh, there'll be a few tears if it's done well the night that that's done and don't wait till they pass away mm. do it beforehand and include everyone in it and do it really cleverly and with emotion and with love. And it's something that it does move you. I've got to say, it's, it's mm-hmm. fantastic to do 100%, 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, we'd love to chat with you a whole lot more, Ralph. <laughs> we could keep going forever. Oh, but I've got more stories, guys. Oh, I know. We're yeah. going to have, have you come back on again. <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah. I just want to thank you guys. Um, yeah, I met Mark a bit later on, but I met Michelle all those years ago. So congratulations on what you guys have done. I've sort of watched from afar your journey. You've tried some things that other people wouldn't try, and you've just settled on now what your rest of your life is going to look like and where you might be going. So congratulations on you guys. I'm so glad you, you've discovered podcasts yes. and that you um, are now getting your story out there and also sharing your, your care for people your willingness to actually communicate those great values that people need. And sometimes we forget Mm -hmm. because of what's going on with our leaders at the moment. It's a disgrace. The the example they're setting for our generations. It's people like you that are the glue for communities and for friendships and stuff like that. So uh, I love it when you, when you put out a post and see what people around the world say about you guys, about that post. I think it says a lot about you guys. So congratulations on what you guys are doing. And, and again, you know, if we can support you in any way, let us know. Oh, look, no, thank, thank you. you thank you so much, Ralph. Your wisdom, your passion, your, <laughs> your heart is felt by many during this podcast interview. And I'm certain that you've awakened many hearts and minds to the possibility of what you can create in your life when you have a vision, when you find a way. That's your key phrase, when you, f- you can always find a way and help awaken 
those inner voices and whether they're expressed on podcasts, in video, whether it's in art, just do it because you're leaving yeah, a legacy for your kids, leaving a legacy for grandkids and, and beyond. So if any listeners out there are curious to know more about Ralph Barber, to explore the opportunity to maybe do, you know, create a narrative and create their story, what's the best way to reach out to you, Ralph? I just just shoot us an email uh, at ralph.barber, that's R-A-L-P-H dot barber, B-A-R-B-A, at makingmedia.com.au. Would love to chat to you about uh, what story you'd like to tell. And just on that point there, Michelle, about about finding a way, Mm -hmm. uh, people might say, but I've got four kids, you know, I'm a single parent, I, there's a million reasons why they, they can't or they're not in position to do it. But I always say to people, are you saying that every single parent with four kids in the history of the world has not been able to achieve what they wanted to achieve if they had a vision? So it's not like every parent in their position has not been able to find a way. There is a way. And again, they might sound easy for me to say it, but there is a way because someone in your position has gone on and had a real full affluent life mm. because they've had that vision and they've made it happen some way. Exactly. So go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Great parting words. So thank you again, Ralph. And dear listeners, we don't take this time with you lightly. We work every day to be the living examples of everything we teach. We are deeply honoured and privileged to have the opportunity to contribute to your life in some way, whether it's large or small. It's an honour and opportunity to deliver information and the fact that you're taking 45 minutes out of your day to listen to this podcast, we are humbled by that, that you made the effort. If you feel awakened by any of our podcasts, please share your experience with us. Reach out and send us an email to podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. And you can also join our community on Facebook at Awakening Empty Nesters. So till we return again with our next guest, may you be inspired to awaken your inner voice by opening up your world to deeper experience, unconditional contribution and consistent growth and living with a strong ECG live pulse. Goodbye from Mark and myself, and thank you again, Ralph Barber. My pleasure, guys. This is the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy what you heard today, share with a friend. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach us directly at podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. Looking forward to you joining us on our next show. Thank you for listening.